Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, as we come to this wonderful and rich chapter, would you teach us in our souls how we can endure? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What does a Christian need to endure? To keep going in their faith, whatever life throws at them. That's our theme this morning, in case you haven't guessed. And of course, endurance is something that uh, mothers know a lot about. Uh, certainly my own mother did with two uh, sons, uh, busy sons, and uh, as a sister as well. Uh, but in all our families, and particularly during the lockdown, there's been more call to endure, hasn't there? And I know there were some relief as children were back to school this week. The letter to the Hebrews is written to a church which had, according to our reading, weary hearts and uh, feeble or drooping arms and weak knees. They were on the floor, if you like. They'd already lost their homes and their livelihoods because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Some had experienced imprisonment, but they had been able to pick themselves up and, and move on. But now there was talk of more persecution on the way of the possibility of blood being shed. How are they going to endure this trauma? And how do we endure traumas in our lives? And we've heard about many in the news this week. And it does seem that actually some weren't enduring, that they had begun to drift back into the safety of Judaism, which was officially approved by the Roman Empire. And the letter of Hebrews is written to encourage them to fix their eyes back on Jesus because Jesus has replaced all that Jewish religion which they grew up with, with a relationship. Their standing before God is based not on their daily, weekly and annual cycle of religious sacrifices, but upon Jesus' sacrifice of his own life once for all upon the cross. On the cross, our sins are wiped clean. And through Jesus, we can have the greatest privilege on earth, which is to come into the presence of God in heaven, into that most holy place. And nothing that earth could offer us matches that great treasure. And what God wants now is not religion, but faith. For people to put their trust in his son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have all that we need, we've been learning. He's the author of our faith, the pioneer of this new and living way. Jesus is the one who helps us perfect or make complete our faith. Last week, in chapter 11, we were given a long list of men and women of faith from the Old Testament. And there is much we can learn from their faith. But ultimately, it's Jesus who is the one who completes the picture for us. We're not just people of faith. You may have heard that term used. You may have used it yourself. But we are Christians. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not how you, if it's not how you would yet describe yourself, it's great that you're here joining in with this online service. And I hope the portraits of Jesus that the letter of Hebrews has been giving us will help you to understand exactly why we can and should follow Jesus Christ today. So what is it about Jesus that when we fix our eyes upon him in the face of an increasingly hostile culture will help us to endure and not lose heart? 
Well, I think there are two areas highlighted in chapter 12, verse 2, which I want to suggest to you is the key to the whole chapter and probably the whole letter of Hebrews. Many of us will know it off by heart by now. Chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus and model our faith on his because he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And we're going to look at those two parts of of that verse together. How he endured the cross because of the joy set before him. Firstly, how he endured the cross. Verse 3 tells us, Consider him who endured, that word again, such opposition from sinful men, so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured the cross. When the soldiers came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane and all his followers ran away, Jesus stood his ground. When Jesus was flogged by the Roman guard, he remained silent. When lies were told about him in court, he told the truth. When nailed to the cross, he endured that pain. He bore the insults thrown at him by the crowd. He soaked up the shame being poured upon him. Jesus endured. And Jesus does not ask of us what he himself has not already experienced. And what an encouragement that must have been to those first Christians facing a similar fate. And what an encouragement it still is to Christians today all over the world facing different challenges for their faith. When a hundred years ago, Ernest Shackleton was looking for a ship to take his expedition to the Antarctic, he thought he'd found the ideal vessel. Made in Norway by master craftsmen, the Polaris steam yacht was originally built to take tourists up into the Arctic. It was built as an ice breaker. The keel was made from four pieces of oak over seven feet thick, which is taller than I am. The rest of the boat was built of overlapping planks of oak and fir and sheathed in greenheart and exceptionally strong and heavy wood. It was about, the, the, the whole ship was about two and a half feet thick, the wood. And Shackleton, when he took possession of the ship, renamed her Endurance. Here was a ship built to endure the icy conditions that lay before him. But as it turned out, Herbert, I'm sure you know the story, when it was trapped in the ice for several months, it did eventually buckle and crack and tragically sink into the depths. Go back, you've gone forward in the size, go back, that's it, we're still on the endurance. Um, Although the wonderful story was of endurance became the story of the crew and how Shackleton, his leadership, did amazingly bring all his crew back alive. That's the endurance. But there was, however, a second ship. You can move on to the second ship now. It was also built at the same time, and that ship was called the Fram. And it was designed differently. It had no heavy keel. And as the ice closed in, the shallow design meant that the ice pushed the ship up so that it would sit on top of the ice rather than being crushed by it. And as a result, the Fram managed to endure three years trapped on the ice in the Arctic. And it became later the boat that Abenson used to be the first man to the South Pole. And you can still see the Fram today in a Norwegian museum outside Oslo. 
Both ships faced the same pressures, but it was the Fram that endured. How can we endure what Jesus endured? How can we endure our crosses? Well, by being of the same design as Jesus, by fixing our eyes on him and learning from him. So how does Hebrews apply all this to his readers? Well, first of all, he encourages them, if you look at verse 7 of chapter 12, to endure hardship as discipline. That is, treat hardship and difficulties as a training soul, a ground for your souls. God treats us as his sons and daughters, just like his son Jesus. And just as hardship helped to hone and shape Jesus' life, Just as it proved his faith and trust in his father, so it hones and shapes our faith too. No discipline, we read in verse 11, seemed pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So rather than complain and bemoan our situation, see it as an opportunity for personal growth, spiritual growth. It's the soil from which spiritual harvests come. And when we go down the wrong path, God in his love disciplines us in that he lets us experience the consequences of those wrong choices so that bit by bit, holiness becomes more attractive to us. Well, that's the first application. Endure hardship as discipline. And then endure together. Verse 14, we read, Make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The reality is that when the heat is turned on the church from outside, the greater the likelihood of division from within the Christian community the greater the possibility of bitterness taking root and war breaking out within a congregation. One thinks the church should act in one way, another in a different way. Words are exchanged. A little seed of resentment is sown and bitterness grows. And so a key element of this call to endure is the call to endure together. And as we go through this pandemic, to endure it together to make every effort to remain at peace with one another, to act graciously towards one another, to treat each other with just the same grace that God treats us. Just a small disagreement can lead a whole church into being divided, and hence the need to keep holy. Holiness we see here isn't just about personal behavior, it's a communal thing. It's how we behave towards each other. That said, there is also a call here to endure in personal holiness. Did you see that in verse 16? See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Do you remember the story? Esau has that moment of weakness which affected the rest of his life and the lives of his whole family after him. He let his physical desires take priority over his relationship with God. He came in from the countryside, starving, hungry, smells a lovely stew on the fire that his brother Jacob has made. He asks for a bowl, to which Jacob says, 
Well, yes, of course, if you sell me your birthright as the older brother to the land God promised our father Abraham. And in that moment, his physical need mattered far more to him than the as of yet unfulfilled promises of God. And so Esau handed over his birthright for a bowl of stew. And it's the same process we go through when it comes to any physical temptation. Fulfilling that physical desire becomes the most important thing to us, far more important than our relationship with God. And when the pressure is on and we're feeling low and our defences are weakened, it's in those times when we feel most vulnerable that we need to remember what happened to Esau and what he lost. So that's our first point this morning. Fix your eyes on Jesus, for he endured the cross. The second point is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus for the joy set before him. There was a point, you see, to Jesus' endurance. It wasn't an end to itself. He wasn't interested in just a noble death. In all his suffering, he had before him the thought of the joy that lay ahead. And we see something of that joy in this chapter in verse 22. We read, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Jesus knew that through his suffering and death, he was laying the foundation of the church, that through his mediation, millions and millions of people would be allowed to enter the city of the living God and join the myriad of angels living there. The names of his followers will be found written in the book of life. And that hope gave him joy. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can share in that joy. His is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything else in this universe will be shaken. Kingdoms and worlds will fall. But this kingdom of God is unshakable. Without Jesus, the thought of coming face to face with God would be entirely different. Hebrews takes us back to what it would be like trying to relate to God without Jesus. And he illustrates the point by describing two alternative mountains. He contrasts Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given, with Mount Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem. The whole experience of Mount Sinai was terrifying. And we get a snapshot here in verse 18. You've not come, we're told, to a mountain that can be touched, that's burning with fire, to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. That was what Mount Sinai was like according to the book of Exodus. Storm and darkness, fire and gloom. When God spoke from the mountain, it was so awe-inspiring that the people begged God to stop and instead speak only to Moses. And Moses himself said, I'm trembling with fear at this sight. God reveals himself that day as a consuming fire. And if some of the Hebrews readers want to give up on Jesus and give up on the gospel and go back to the law, to go back to Mount Sinai, well, that's what they were going back to, God in the raw unfiltered consuming fire but what a contrast the second mountain hebrews describes mount zion which is upon which is built the heavenly jerusalem the city of the living god to the sound of 
thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, the church of Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead, risen and ascended in glory. What a contrast these two mountains provide. To give up on Jesus, to exchange Mount Zion for Mount Sinai, to exchange this picture of joy for one of gloom and fear, is to exchange God's better word for something far more inferior. So don't lose heart. The best is yet to come. Joy awaits the Christian who endures, just as has awaited Jesus after the cross. Well, how should we respond to this message? Well, the chapter finishes with this thought, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and we might add cannot be crushed or sunk, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do Christians gain access to the kingdom of God? Yes. Do Christians have a joyful future to look forward to? Yes. So let's be thankful this morning. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we have all this to look forward to. And to those who aren't yet Christ's followers, can you see more clearly what you're missing out on? Perhaps until this week, we thought that the British monarchy was unshakable. One week after Harry and Meghan's uh, interview, it was looking a bit more vulnerable. But here is an unshakable kingdom to which we can belong. And as well as being thankful, we're encouraged to bring our worship, to praise the living God for who he is and for what he has done for us. That he knows our names and he longs to write our names in the roll book of heaven. It is right to be awestruck by this God. It is right to lay our lives before him and say, Lord, how can I, with my short life here on earth, show my gratitude that you would look on me in kindness because of Jesus and the cross that he endured? Well, this then is how the Christian endures hard times. And perhaps you're going through hard times at the moment. Perhaps it's just a truth we need to store up for when we need it. The Christian endures hard times by fixing our eyes on Jesus. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. He is the author of our faith. He is the founder, the pioneer. He endured, and with his help and by God's grace, we will make it through. We will run the race into his presence. Let's uh, pray together. And I'm going to pray the collect from last Sunday because actually it seems to fit in really appropriately with what we've been learning this morning. Let's pray together. Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other and the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.